everybody, and welcome, 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 welcome back to We've Got Mail. Ring. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani, and I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bebs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a critic as well. Cool. I'm even wearing the shirt for it. That's true. He's got a show. He's a shirt that has Crow T Robot on it, mm. and it says "Professional Film Critic." So you know. I like to wear this to real. screenings. And I, <laughs> I went to a screening tonight, so I, I have I, a Tom Servo shirt that says the same thing. We're <laughs> we're, we're we're pals, um, but yeah, this is the this is the podcast where you write in and we answer your emails. Uh, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a P.O. box if you want to send us an actual physical letter in the mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? I write it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And that's especially relevant because we got a letter this week. We did. I'm, I'm going to open it here Ooh. on mic so you can hear it. That's me tearing like the envelope. Oh, we owe money on taxes. Oh, no, I'm no. kidding. Uh, this is an actual letter. <laughs> uh, this is from Alex the Geek Librarian. Nice. Hey, Alex. Uh, it says, Dear Cool Guy and Smart One. Uh, you're, oh, which I'm, one I'm do you I'm not cool want? or smart, so I don't okay, know which you're, one I'm going to say you're the cool guy. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you figure out which is which. Okay. Uh, just kidding. Cool Both guy. monikers could apply to either of you any day of the week. I'll Flattery will get off. you everywhere. Um, I know you have a whole podcast devoted to shows that are that arguably ended before their time, and I love listening to you talk about them, but I've been thinking about the old adage about destinations versus journeys. Mm. I found myself consuming a lot of media that is not and may never be finished, often with much enjoyment, but can never, uh, but can find it difficult to recommend to people because that sort of Damocles, but it's not finished, is hanging over the conversation. Yeah. Uh, sadly, we just lost author and artist uh, Kentaro Miura, who was about two-thirds of the way through his epic Berserk manga. Oh, Imagine. I didn't even hear about that. That's oh no. Oh, oh that yeah. sucks. I didn't know. Oh wow. I, I don't. I don't know. How did I miss sir. that? Yeah. It, it's a it's a long running manga. I, right. I used to read it all the time. I felt behind. Right. It was really good. Imagine if Stephen King had been publishing the Dark Tower serially thirty pages at a time for thirty two years, then suddenly stopped dead fifty pages into book six of seven. <sighs> uh, Pirates of Dark Water is a lot of fun, and mm -hmm. its creators are probably owed a bit of recognition by the folks who wrote Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, but the studio Agreed. burned down halfway through the second season, and the show was never completed. Yeah. Uh, the recobbled cut of The Thief and the Cobbler is vastly superior to The Princess and the Cobbler, but it's still unfinished. Uh, that's a film I know. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Williams, an animator for Disney, uh, notoriously spent like about 30 years just sort of working on this project mm -hmm. on and off, and never actually completed it. No. Um, you can see most of it, though, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, The the yeah. Thief and the Cobbler, uh, it was released theatrically as a, uh, Arabian Night, Night with a K. Yeah. And, uh, this is yeah. like in the 90s. It had been, yeah, it was like, like it had been in development for like decades. Yeah, it was like he was working yeah. on it in the 70s, mm -hmm. and they ended up hiring new voice actors. <laughs> uh, so Vincent Price and Matthew Broderick and Jonathan Winters are all in it. I think it was released after Vincent Price's death. Pretty sure it was, yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, it was released in the theaters as Arabian Night. I watched it. I, I thought it was really fun. Miramax yeah. clearly came in and completed it. There's some like really cheap looking sequences that really stand out, but there's some yeah. really psychedelic fun things in that movie. Um, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the recobbled cut, which uses some like unfinished I haven't seen that pen pencil tests and kind of cuts them all in. Uh, anyway, um, Castle Waiting is, uh, is an amazing fairy tale slice of life comic. That in many ways feels ahead of its time, and My Favorite Things is Monsters is a riveting fictional visual journal that feels like a genuine biography. Both have been languishing for years due to production and publication issues. 
I personally don't particularly care if George R. R. Martin finishes the sire, the song of ice and fire saga, but I bet Whitney for one wishes Jeffrey Chaucer had managed to wrap up the Canterbury tales or that Dickens had finished the mystery of Edwin Drood. Uh, yeah, that's, that'd that's, be cool. That's a pretty big one. Wouldn't that have been nice? Uh, do either of you have things that you love or recommend despite being unfinished? Yeah. Thank you for all the hours of wonderful entertainment and edification. Sincerely, Alex, the geek librarian. Uh, yeah, actually, we got a lot of those. Um, and, and that's a good point. I've run into a lot of people who would say things like, oh, I was going to watch this show, but now that it was canceled after one season, I never will. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, because it's not, it'll never be finished. And I don't know. I feel like we're in this weird place now where we want to have this sense of completion. We want to see the entire thing. But there are also some serialized stories that we'll never finish. I heard someone was talking about how we can't critique the book of Boba Fett, this new Star Wars series that's out right now, until it's over. Why? Because <laughs> because we don't know where the story is going. Maybe it's all, right. all leading somewhere. And I'm like, I see your point. But the problem with that is that it's Star Wars. It will never be over. There will always be another season of the book of Boba Fett or the Mandalorian or another storyline that will continue those characters or that world. And until Disney decides they can't make money off of Star Wars anymore, which I don't see happening. Well, not soon, anyway. That mentality means that we either need to give up talking about Star Wars forever because we don't have the we don't have the context necessary to look at it as a complete entity, or we need to accept that serialized stories are always a work in progress and we're working off of whatever chapter is most recent. So the idea that not every story will be completed. The idea that not every story uh, reaches a satisfying conclusion because of the tragic death of a storyteller or the shuttering of a studio or a million other uh, external reasons. It sucks. No one prefers it that way, but sometimes it's what we got and it's worth exploring the media. And that's kind of what Cancel Too Soon was all about. Yeah. It was basically like, here are all these shows that failed that never got to tell, in many cases, their complete story. At the very least, never got to reach their full potential. And it was about sort of digging them up. And we we are getting back to Cancel Too Soon. It's been on the hiatus for a few months. Uh, we are getting back to that this year. It's really yep, important yeah. to us. Um, so we've had met a lot of those, I think, mm -hmm. in uh, in the course of Cancel Too Soon. Yeah. Um, if something is unfinished, that doesn't necessarily make it a bad work of art. No. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's an incomplete work of art. Yeah. But you can see a grand portion and i think that's fine i've read the mystery of edwin drood mm -hmm. um what what portion of it there is which is you know a, a pretty complete experience but yeah the mystery is not really solved yeah uh and i'm trying to think of like other unfinished novels i know they publish a portion of the final uh captain jack aubrey novel okay. uh kafka was notorious about not finishing his books mm. I think both the trial and the castle don't really have conclusive endings. Okay. But with Kafka, I think that's a little fitting. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, how much Kafka have you read? Surely. Uh, some of the short stories, mostly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He that he sort of like leaves you hanging in this weird sort of depressive state. I think is uh, really telling. There's a short story of Kafka's. I can't remember the title <laughs> where. Um, the main character uh, in the middle of a conversation runs out of the room, runs down the street and jumps off a bridge mm. and uh, clings on to the, uh, the outside railing of the bridge dangling over the water. And that's the end of the story. He's just sort of dangling there. 
Yeah. And that's pretty exemplary of the way Kafka writes his story. It's just <laughs> something really horrible happens. It's really depressing. And you're just sort of left in that state. Um, I'm trying to think of like a, a famous film. Like I know there's, well, there's a lot of famous examples. Like, uh, you know, we don't have the complete version of uh, Magnificent Emerson's... Oh, Orson uh, Welles' Don Quixote. Yeah. Orson Welles is behind a lot of those unfinished movies, sadly. Yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of unfinished movies just never get released. There was a movie they were filming of Apt Pupil, the Stephen hmm. King story, uh, which they filmed some of, and then there was like a money problem, they had to go into hiatus, and then I believe... The person playing the role that would eventually be played by Brad Renfro mm. uh, was being played by Ricky Schroeder. Okay. And, but in the hiatus, he hit puberty and like changed, the, the footage wouldn't match. Oh, shoot. Okay. And they couldn't afford to reshoot the old footage, so mm. they're just stuck. And someone's got like half of Apt Pupil in the, a garage um, somewhere. I know you can see the, the scenes of um, Back to the Future that yeah. they shot with Eric Stoltz, who was yeah. originally Marty McFly. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, for whatever reason, the filmmakers decided he wasn't right for the part. I guess he was just maybe too intense an actor. Yeah. He did somebody a little bit lighter. So they got Michael J. Fox, who yeah. can do sort of like comedy a little bit better. A lot of people are, I, I wasn't a fan, but a lot of people are really rallied behind wanting to see the story that began in Solo, a Star Wars story. They wanted That mm -hmm. ended on a cliffhanger. And yeah. they want more of it because they would like the character and that particular version of it. And more power to you. I've seen worse Star Wars movies. Mm -hmm. not, not, I'm not excited about it. I get more excited about things like uh, when we discovered the Cancel Too Soon series, Earth 2. Yeah. Earth 2, which was a great sci-fi series. It's a very good show. Yeah. Was, like, yeah. A, a budget studio yeah. TV series. It's basically Earth is fucked. We send out an arc full of people to, a, to another planet. They land on the planet and it turns out... Um, it's Shit, not, not uninhabited. It's not as uninhabited as we thought, and that leads to some really, really good story arcs. Mm. Tim Curry's an amazing villain in that movie, <laughs> in that show. Like that was really good, and that ended on a cliffhanger. And I really would have liked to have seen what they could have done with that because that was totally and it's totally worth checking out. Just be aware if you check out Earth Two uh, on the DVD, and I presume if you watch it on streaming, the episodes are a little out of order. So like the episode, the series ends, and then they just show two more episodes in the middle of the show. And yeah, it's really so, weird. So just make sure you're watching the correct order. That's that's highly recommended there. Is, is Earth 2 on any streaming services? I would hope so. I'd be bummed out if it wasn't. I mean, it's possible. Um, Blood Drive never finished. Well, Blood, Blood Drive well, did finish. Well, but they, they, they ended on a cliffhanger. They, well, they teased the next season. That's That's a point. Yeah, they did, well, they I was like, didn't, they didn't finish telling their story. They had they were going to a well, dinosaur they, island. I want to go to a dinosaur <laughs> island no, they, with they Blood fin Drive. They finished one story, and they just introduced the next one. I don't think that, that anything was cut short. That was just... It's like... Um, you can't complain that they never made a second Buckaroo Banzai movie because all we had was the sequel. Well, we, we complained because we the wanted story. But yeah, the story is finished. Yeah. I'll grant you. But like, we can complain because we want more mm. of it. I think that's that's adequate. The, I, I was, I really admired. There's a couple films that came out in like the mid 2000s, uh, right when superheroes were like starting to take off, that tried to sort of invent their own superhero narrative. And yeah, I, I know the reason a lot of the the superhero characters got you know got as much traction as they did is because they were already recognizable in some capacity right you may not care a lot about iron man but you've heard about iron man like that's and you know they came out with this 2008 movie it was like the c-list character now he's the most popular one ever yeah uh movies like jumper oh, or, yeah. or push uh tried to create their own kind of 
superhero type yeah, universe. Yeah, this weird network of, you know, this giant complex mythology of how these things worked. And those things didn't catch on. They didn't sort of launch the universes that uh, they intended to. Yeah. Mostly because they're not very good movies. But uh, that fascinates me, that they, they tried. That was yeah. very ambitious of them. Uh, I was thinking of... Um... Oh, uh, it's a movie that eventually came out, but the way it came out is kind of grotesque. Uh, and that is Bruce Lee's Game of Death. Oh, um, they, they hired somebody to stand in. Oh, no, it's so fucking weird. So, like, they 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 shot a lot of footage for this kung fu epic uh, uh, with Bruce Lee. And uh, Bruce Lee was directing it. Bruce Lee had written it. And he was becoming quite the auteur. Um, and then he died, very tragically. And uh, the movie was unfinished. And they were like, what do we do with all this footage? So they decided to add a subplot in which <clears throat> Bruce Lee fakes his own death and they use footage of Bruce Lee's actual funeral and his body. Oh, jeez! It gets so grotesque. And he goes off on a mission of revenge or whatever like that. And it's just almost unwatchably <laughs> it's, horrible. It's really tasteless. Except for the stuff that Bruce Lee actually like shot, which is mm. kind of exists in a vacuum. And there's this incredible fight scene where he uh, fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who like towers over oh, him. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's such a fucking amazing sequence. But like, you just kind of want to watch that. You don't want to see the whole movie. The movie mm. itself is this gross exploitation of Bruce <laughs> Lee's legacy. So, oh my God. Yeah, that, uh, one, that one pisses me off, actually. But I, well, I'm not satisfied with what we got from it. There, there are a few films I've seen that they did complete uh, mm-hmm. under adverse circumstances uh the imaginary of dr parnassus is one of those um heath ledger died during production of that movie yeah so they had to sort of at uh at the last minute come up with a way to recast the character creatively and it actually and worked it, in it that kind, context yeah, because, because the, they, they, they shot the framing device but none of the like the supernatural adventures mm. so every time he enters the imaginary dr parnassus he, he looks tried, like a different person yeah, yeah. which it was a little bit of a stretch, but based on what they had to work with, it works fine. And and you know they got other notable actors like Johnny Depp and and Colin uh, Farrell Jude Law, and, Jude Law. Colin, yeah, and yeah. Colin Farrell were all a, yeah. sort of the alternate versions of the Heath Ledger character, and yeah. it, it kind of makes sense in the context of that movie, as well as it can as well as it can given yeah. the circumstances of the shoot. Um, uh, you know, Paul Walker is maybe the most notorious recent example of oh, Furious yeah. 7. He died during production of that. And, and that movie too. turned into this very bizarre meta thing where it's half a story that's just about whatever they were going to tell and half a goodbye to Paul Walker, but like really self-aware of it. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a biz- it's there's going to come a day when people who like don't have the emotional connection to the franchise that we do are just going to watch it. Like people watch old movies now, like, Hey, let's watch all the Sean Connery bonds. Why why are they focusing so much on this Paul Walker Uh, character? And and even if you know the story, like the, the, it's going to, I think it's going to be a little distancing. It's going to be super weird to watch, but, um, a fascinating experiment. I interviewed James Wan for that. And, um, Mm. he said, uh, it's like the experience was like trying to land a, like, the pilot has died and you've got to land a plane that's on fire. If you land the plane, you win. <laughs> it's not about I, gracefulness. It's about landing the plane. I would say he did it. I think, did, I think, did I, I think they, they did it pretty story. tastefully yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Uh, there's only a few shots where they like got a stunt double in shadow, like where it's yeah. clearly not Paul Walker. But they get, a, they showed, get away with it. It, it yeah, I, th- I think they did it. All right, we should move on, but that's a good conversation. And uh, I'll keep thinking about that. That's a, uh, no. Yeah, they, but they, but to the but to the incomplete works of art. But just yeah, but just because something is incomplete doesn't mean it's not fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can always dream about the potential. Yeah. Um, here's a letter from Johnny Starlight. Hi, 
Johnny. Hello, Johnny Starlight. Um, hello, Bibbs and the coolest rockmeister in school. Oh, you can call me Rockmeister McCool if you like. <laughs> um, first, Bibbs, congratulations again on your big win at the Schmodown Spectacular. Oh, thank you very and much. And shout out to the fellow $20 critically acclaimed patron who is sitting in front of me during the show. Oh, that's uh, exciting. What a wonderful Patron seeing you live. What a wonderful experience. Uh, now to the main point of the letter. I wanted to plug a cause that is near and dear to me. As uh, both you and many of your listeners publicly know, I am a sex worker. Uh, during the summer of 2020, during the pandemic, a few friends of mine created a mutual aid fund for sex workers called Suede Vegas, as in Sex Work Aid Vegas. Mm. Uh, the fund is run completely by volunteers, and all overhead costs, such as the cost to run their website, are paid for out of pocket by the people who run the fund. They provide $100 microgrants, school supplies, contraceptives, free Narcan, and other supplies to sex workers in need. Sex workers in Las Vegas get priority, but when Suede has the funds, they've been able to help people all across the United States and even into Canada. Uh, They absolutely would not be able to do this without donations, 100% of which go directly to sex workers who apply. Lately, the donations have not been able to keep up with the amount of requests for aid. Uh, We do weekly streams on Twitch to help raise awareness funds for Suede, and our next stream will be this Sunday, February 6th. Which is also my birthday. Oh, uh, happy birthday. And we're recording this before that. We, yeah. we, we made it. Um, I, I want as many people as possible to tune into the stream and donate. It would mean so much to me if all of you could join. I start around 7 or 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. And if you watch, uh, you can watch it either uh, just tune into Twitch. Yeah. Uh, the name is XCorvus777. We're going to be playing the game, the game Crab Game. Do you know Crab Game? Is it like Squid Game? I don't know. It's basically a free, much less polished version of Fall Guys with levels based on the show Squid Game. Oh, okay. I'm not crazy. Okay. 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 Makes sense. Uh, but we frequently play Jackbox Games and Goose Goose Duck, which is Among Us, but with better features and more roles. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm familiar with Fall Guys and Among Us because I have a six-year-old in the house. I've played some Among Us. Yeah, Among very, Us is fun. very fond of those. Yeah. Uh, I admire that uh, the makers of Among Us realize that little kids are playing, yeah. so they disabled a lot of the chat. Good. Yeah, there's there's a, an option where you can disable chat, or, or mm-hmm. you now you pick from a list of names rather than coming up with your own. Yeah, I mean, that works. Hen- Henry signed on, and one of the first names was like F. Joe Biden. It was like all this terrible Something, stuff. Something, yeah. I've, I've, <clears throat> I've, I've seen the internet. Yeah, they're, they're just horrible all the time, aren't we? Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's a lot of, there's a, it's a long way down. Um, if you aren't able to donate, please hang out and watch the stream. If uh, if you can't make the stream, you can always make donations directly paid to Suede through Cash App, PayPal, Patreon. Uh, you can find it at suedevegas.org slash contribute, uh, or, and then follow them on Twitter, Suede Vegas, for updates. The war on sex work, especially the war on porn, has really ramped up over the last year, and a lot of people really need help now more than ever. Thank you very much to all my fellow listeners, and thank you most of all, Mr. Bibiani and Mr. Seibold, for the many hours of entertainment, laughs, and insights. That have introduced me to so many films I would have never seen otherwise, for better or for worse, <laughs> and made me a better movie viewer and a fan. Thank you, Johnny Starlight. Thank you, Johnny. How do you spell Suede Vegas again? Uh, S W A I D. Suede. Suede. Just suede. In Vegas. case you're spelling yeah. Suede like the shoes. Yeah. Sex work aid. Suede. Okay. Got it. Um, well, thank you. Thank you very much for making sure everyone's aware yeah. of that. Everyone, um, you know, we encourage you to check it out. Johnny mm-hmm. Starlight's trying to do something really, really nice here, and I hope you check out the Twitch feed uh, if it's if it's possible for you. So, um, I don't want to force anyone's hand. It's, you know, it's charity, but like, you know, please consider, I would, it would mean a lot to us. It would mean a lot to Johnny Starlight, who has written in many times and is one of our, uh, one of our most dedicated listeners. It's always been a pleasure. One of the family sticking around for as long as you have. Johnny Starlight is part of the family. So thank you so much. Uh, So, so support Suede Vegas. Um, yeah, yeah. There has been this weird sort of, uh, bend toward the prudish 
when it comes to discussions of porn. Yeah. It's it's ubiquitous. It's out there. Let's just have conversations and yeah. and people are constantly working to shut it down. The whole OnlyFans scandal where yeah. uh, you know, first of all, OnlyFans it's it's not like this huge money maker for everybody on it. Yeah. It's a huge money maker for like 0.001% of the people on it. Yeah. And the rest are just making a few extra bucks. It's yeah. like a side hustle for a lot of people. Yeah. And the people who are making money off it are mostly sex workers. Yeah. yeah. And there aren't a lot of avenues that sex workers have available to them yeah, for they, they keep shutting the doors on yeah. avenues for sex workers to make money. Yeah. And because be- that's just bus- leaving people high and dry. Businesses want to exploit the sex work industry or the pornographic mm-hmm. industry uh, in order to establish themselves. But then once they are established and they want to like go public or whatever like that, mm-hmm. then they want to distance themselves from it so they can get like the ultra, you know, the ultra conservative like businesses yeah. that won't be like turned. It's like it's. Hey, hey guess it, what? Admit what you are. Hey, you know? hey, can you can we just like maybe not court the bigot market? Yeah, that'd be great. I'm fine with it, just but like le- leave them out because we don't want them around. But um, in any case, sex workers have to put up with a lot of crap, and it's not yeah. fair. So uh, please consider giving uh, if you have the means. Um, but let's we should move on. Yeah, here here is a joint letter. This comes from many people. Oh, uh, it comes from Nikolai. Oh, God, Yui. it's a class action lawsuit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney, you've been served. No. Uh, this is from Nikolai, Yui, Matt, Amy, Julieta, Jackson, and Toby. Wow. All together uh, from all over the world. Uh, hello, dear friend. I don't have a question or anything regarding a previous topic of yours for you today. Oh, well. Oh, I guess that's it. No, uh, but simply a fact I thought uh, you'd love to know regarding the Critically Acclaimed Network. Mm. I discovered your podcasts while I studied at USC, Fight on Trojans, for a semester before <laughs> moving back to Denmark in 2019. Wow. Uh, when I was there, I became close friends with other film enthusiasts from other countries who also studied at the same college. Uh, when the semester was over, we all went home to our respective home nations of Denmark, Argentina, South Africa, New Zealand, Japan, and Canada. Wow. We have stayed in touch over the years and have even planned on spending the summer 2020 together before COVID put an end to that. Right. But we are having a lot of fun chatting, calling, watching movies together over Skype. By the way, thank you for introducing us to Robot Jocks. Yes! <laughs> Crash and burn. Actually, give me the salute robot right now. There it uh. It's a fist bump with your thumbs up. That's yeah. the robot jock salute. Uh, and uh, also talked about you guys' podcast, uh, the movies you have recommended, deep dives into topics, or simply just pouring nonsense out of your ears. We're good at that. Yeah, um, we're good at the nonsense. But uh, here's the cool thing I bet will warm your hearts because you deserve it, damn it. Oh, yeah, um, our Canadian work. friend of our group, Toby, studied uh, glaciology. At the Department of Earth Sciences at USC, and in August last year, was hired to join an expedition to the South Pole, uh, where he has been been based on the Antarctic Peninsula since January 18th, and will stay there until he finishes mid-February. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. I want to go to the South Pole. I'm jealous. Uh, It turns out that not only have the rest of us kept on listening to your shows, but so has Toby. While he is close, uh, has close to no internet down there, and uh, therefore can't hear any recent uploads, he did, however, download a buttload of previous episodes before he left, and that he listens to them from time to time at night just before he falls asleep. This means in the last two weeks or so, you guys have had people listening to Critically Acclaimed Network on every single continent on the planet. Wow. <laughs> hope you guys found... Oh my God. I'm, I'm That's amazing. Um, hope you guys found this as jaw-dropping as I did. And here at the very end, I hope you'll do me a favor, send a warm, but by the time he hears it slightly delayed, happy birthday to Toby, who'll turn 32 on February 4th. Oh my god, uh, that's that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Oh my god. Reading. And probably the day that this comes out live. So, uh, Toby... 
Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Toby. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for having such a wonderful group of friends. Oh my gosh. Thank you for, for taking us all the way to Antarctica, which is super yeah. exciting. And when you're digging, I've never in, been. when you're digging into the polar ice, don't unearth any Lovecraftian monsters. Cause that, if there's anything I know about working in the Arctic or the Antarctic, no monsters, there's, there's monsters living under the ice. Just no monsters. All don't, right. don't do it. But Toby, thank you so much. And thank you. Everyone, this is this is actually really cool. This is something I never wow. really thought about before. But holy <laughs> cow, we've been everywhere. Uh, also, if you can spare them, uh, send him some warm thoughts. Last I heard him, January twenty first, it was seven degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh. Our boy is freezing his nuts off, but having a wonderful time uh, from the sound of things. I'll keep you updated if somehow uh, we can one up this. Lots of love and happy twenty twenty two from all of us. Nikolai from Denmark, Yui in Japan, Matt in Australia, Amy in South Africa. Julieta in Argentina, Jackson in New Zealand, and Toby in Canada and the South Pole. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you some warm thoughts. Everyone, everyone in this email, I just want you to know, everyone's listening right now, you, me, Whitney, Toby, Julieta, everybody, uh, we're all having a group hug right now. Yeah. All right, we're all staying warm together. We're all having a group hug right now because this is really, really sweet. And this is really, really mm-hmm. kind of you to let us know. And it's, it, and I hope it means something to Toby as well. Because what wonderful friends. Yeah. That, really, that, that's that, wonderful. Well, it's, and it's wonderful, A, that you guys like found each other and that yeah. you're keeping the network alive and you're staying in touch. That's, yeah. uh, it's the thing you always say you're going to do. And when you actually do it, it's actually really impressive. Yeah. So, um, yeah, st- stay, stay in contact and um, we'll do what we can just by, by doing our we'll blithering keep, and blathering. We'll keep the lights on, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much, and uh, and and seriously, Toby, I hope you're you're safe and you're warm, uh, and I hope you had a wonderful time in the South Pole. My God, <laughs> welcome, welcome home from the South Pole. Um, I hope I got to meet a penguin. Yes, I love penguins. It's like my besides cats, they're my favorite animal. Penguins. I love penguins. I think they're just absolutely wonderful creatures, yeah. and I've never gotten a chance to meet a penguin. So I hope I, I, I hope know. you I hope you if you had the opportunity, I hope you met a penguin. If you didn't get a chance to meet a penguin. That's fine too. I don't want to don't want to make it weird, but yeah, I, I don't know enough about penguins to know like what types of penguins live on which parts of the continent. Yeah, um, emperor penguins are, are around. I don't, I don't know where Toby well, is. So I, like, I know there are penguins are in yeah. uh, live on the South Pole. That's all yeah. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So penguins. They're all wonderful. Every single penguin to a one. <laughs> It's delightful. I mean, I even like that Jim Carrey movie because they're so cute. I never saw the Jim Carrey movie. It's cute. It's, 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 just, it's a kid's movie. It's harmless. But just it's, CGI penguins in that one, though, wasn't it? I don't recall, but I feel like probably mostly, yeah. I saw the Penguins of Madagascar. <laughs> it's an animated film, though. But I think it's it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I, uh, anyway, onward. I'm not going to talk onward. about Thank Penguins you, But seriously, that warms our hearts. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank for, you so much. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, here's another letter. This one's from Charles. Hello, Charles. Um, Dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool, I'm an avid listener to all of your podcasts. They're really a highlight of my day. Still hoping you cover Wonderfalls on Cancel Too Soon one day. We do plan to get to uh, that one day. It's one of our bigger shows oh, that we just never got around to. Uh, this, this is a Star Trek episode. Uh, oh, good. Email. I'm emailing you to agree with Bibbs' stance <gasps> on Dr. Pulaski's reaction to Data's name and disagree with Whitney's. I've, I, want, I, I said on our last Star Trek podcast, I watched the scene again and mm. it when Dr. Pulaski ends the scene with, oh, whatever, it's like, yeah. okay, this is just callous. If you're, if you're uh, not sure what we're talking about, we're, we just started uh, on our Patreon-exclusive podcast, All Our Yesterdays, where we do one podcast for every single episode of Star Trek ever made. Uh, we just started season two of Star Trek The Next Generations, and there's a new character, Dr. Pulaski, 
and in an attempt to recreate this sort of uh, fiery back and forth from the original series, uh, they made the her character uh, just sort of not trusting of Data, the, the lovable android, yeah, and having no respect for him as a, as a living being because she, he's a robot. She's a doctor, he's an android, yeah. she doesn't understand that he's yeah. a non-biological life form. But my argument was, when you look at them in the first episode, and I think it bore fruit in the second um it goes beyond just like a back and forth and just she comes across as mean. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, about this. Anyway, but um, uh, yeah. And I, I defended Dr. Pulaski cause I was just sort of looking at it from the context of like character writing mm-hmm. a doctor and an Android and how would they react to one another? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it, she is un unnecessarily callous yeah. to Data in that scene. And and there's another scene in the second episode where she's equally callous to Data. Um, but he, uh, Charles says, uh, before I adopted a conventional English name, I endured all kinds of irritating mispronunciations of my name and annoyed reactions when I tried to provide a correct pronunciation of it. Uh, this is a moment I'm sure many people of color, trans people, and other people have experienced over and over again. When Data corrected Pulaski and Pulaski pulled out a tricorder with a self-satisfied bigoted smirk on her face, for me, her behavior went from misunderstanding to discrimination. When Whitney joshingly said that maybe it wasn't as big a deal as Dubib suggested, that was honestly disappointing. I would have hoped Whitney wouldn't have taken that side. However, I wonder how Whitney might feel, for instance, if you ran across somebody who dismissively chuckled away that being bi wasn't really a thing. Or how Whitney might feel if someone called Bibbs fat and then said it was just a joke afterwards. Shrugging away the importance of microaggressions kind of sucks, and I can envision the reaction that anyone who dislikes such microaggressions is being too sensitive, and that sucks too. The common picture of discrimination is obvious hatred, but laughing dismissal of a person's feelings or existence uh, is the more common reality of discrimination. I'd like to end on a positive note, but I can't bring myself to it now. I just wanted to express my opinions <laughs> on the matter. Charles. Charles, um, thank you so much for joining in, and thank yeah. you so much for adding your own personal experience. Yeah, um, and and I agree. I agree with that. Um, yeah. Like I said, I was viewing uh, the the scene not in any sort of metaphorical context. Yeah, uh, I was seeing as a scene between a space doctor and an android, and yeah. uh, and there there wasn't too much to read into that. But yeah, it does resemble a lot of problematic scenes that play out in real life, and uh, I, I wasn't sensitive. To that. No, I think I think you can uh, see now how like some people could look at that scene and see pure negativity, and mm-hmm. there's and. And again, you can write a character who's a bigot. You can write a character who's a bad person or mm-hmm. has a lot to learn. But again, we're in a situation here where the whole point of Star Trek is it's a utopian yeah. well, uh, uh, work situation. I and we're not the, having uh, that. And it's also, again, you're introducing a new character that you want us to like. Yeah, the, and they uh, come across as a bully. The uh, Star Trek tries to have it both ways, doesn't it? It, yeah. it wants to address bigotry and, and sort of... It a presents a like a future of humanity where bigotry is sort of like been dismissed of and gotten rid of. Yeah, and everybody like, sort of gets we've, along we've outgrown and is accepting. It. Yeah, we've like, outgrown it's it. It's a lot of dialogue to the effect, you yeah. know, Roddenberry and dialogue. Oh, we're we're better than we once were. We're not bigots anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, but in order to address bigotry, you still have to have some. Yeah, but you can't have recognizable Earth bigotry. So they have to come up with space bigotry instead. <laughs> uh, so the the way they deal with that is. Okay, well, why why isn't somebody bigoted against an android? An android, you know, it's just a fantasy creature. It's just a fantasy object. So it's okay to be bigoted against, like, a fantasy alien species. And that's something that we run into a lot when we deal with science science fiction. Uh, We Mm. talked about this a lot when we did our uh, Star Wars podcast, Episode Zero, Mm. about how one of the things that Star Wars has repeatedly done in order to... 
uh, mine uh, older stories or material is it takes old adventure, mostly colonialist tropes mm. and just sort of dresses them up in science, know, just, just, just ladle yeah. sci-fi on top of them like gravy. So it's like, it's, oh, it's okay. It's like, it's okay that this is kind of racist because this is aliens, but it's like, yeah, but if you remove the alien sort of facade, mm. all you're left with is the exact same kind of shitty attitude that you're promoting yeah. in the storytelling. And Star Trek can do that too. Mm. And sometimes the idea that you want to, Presenting something is not the same as advocating for it, but you have to be careful when you present it that what you intend is clear. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise you if... could potentially end up making something that a bigot hmm. would look at and go, yeah, and that's the or last if, thing we want. Or if Data had like called her on it, had said, yeah. you mispronounced my name, would you have done that to Worf, the, yeah. the Klingon character? Yeah. It's like, well, no, I wouldn't have done that. Would you have done that to... Picard, just because he's French. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I wouldn't have done that. Well, then don't do that we to me. We could have like, learned yeah. a viable lesson. But again, that's one of the reasons mm. why Pulaski is not Bones. Mm. Uh, and even Bones I had a problem with. I think Bones is a fucking racist asshole. But like, at the very least, when Bones was mean to Spock, Spock was mean back. Yeah. Like, there was, there was a back and forth. Mm. Data is such a pure soul <laughs> that he just takes the abuse. Mm. And it just makes her seem that much worse. It's like she's bad, and then it comes across as worse. Mm. So, yeah. We look at stuff that start like Star Trek and Star Wars and the Marvel Cinematic Universe or DC or whatever Mm. these like ongoing stories or universes are that mean a lot to us. And when these things mean a lot to us and then they hurt our feelings, it really fucking hurts. Yeah. So I think it's perfectly valid to talk about that. Um, and listen, sometimes I may misinterpret things. Sometimes I may uh, come at things from an angle that isn't necessarily justified by the text. Uh, and and this may be a case where you did as well. And I think mm. you realize now the perspective where the people are coming from. Yeah. yeah. And um, we'll, we'll be more careful about that in the future, yeah, won't we? Um, yeah, always a learning experience. Yeah. And like I said, I was just sort of looking at it from the, the fantasy context. But... Yeah. I, I should I should know a little better because I'm constantly you know searching sifting through a lot of science fiction entertainment looking for the colonialism underneath because a lot of that yeah. those adventure stories are still there. Um, we we constantly go back to aliens and how yeah. um, that's specifically know. like a like a, like a Vietnam allegory. Yeah, well, yeah. Really, yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, yeah, James Cameron has even said in interviews yeah. that he meant it to be sort of a Vietnam allegory. Yeah, but instead of Vietnamese people, it's monsters. That's not incredibly sensitive, is it? Um, mm. So yeah, there's there's a lot of irresponsible things in a lot of our fantasy entertainment, uh, and we need to be aware of what we're drawing on. Yeah, and and to be responsible. I think yeah. that's something that's important. And and when we look back at things that we care about that meant a lot to us, and they let us down or mm-hmm. they don't hold up very well, it's important to talk about it because yeah. otherwise we're just kind of letting it slide. So. Anyway, uh, thank you for writing in. Thank you for sharing your experience. Uh, we'll all try to do better, and mm-hmm. let's move on. All right. Uh, here's a letter from Dan. Hello, Dan. Hi, Dan. Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney, let me start off by saying I love your many podcasts, so much so that I recently subscribed on Patreon. Oh, thank, thank you, you for much. that. And I've been really enjoying going through the back catalog of your Only the Best podcast. Mm. Uh, nevertheless, my question pertains to the critically reclaimed podcast, formerly known as The Streaming Club. 
Uh, since the idea became its own podcast, you've not covered any international films, other than a couple oh. from Australia and the UK. Oh. Uh, whilst I very much appreciate the work that you're doing to look back at classical Hollywood cinema, reevaluating American blockbusters and unearthing bizarre cult classics, I do wish you would cover more international films. Yeah. Uh, is this a byproduct of lackluster catalogs on the streaming services? Yeah. Or more so, it's that. A lot um, of it's yeah. that, yeah, yeah. Or more so leaning into what's more familiar where you have a bit more of context already known. I understand that there have been a handful of international films on the polls that were just not picked by us patrons, but often in We've Got Mail, are both of you wishing that you are more versed in international cinema from specific mm. countries when these things come up, so why not start now? Dedicate a poll monthly to critically reclaimed the films of Brazil, China, Nigeria, whatever. Mm. It may require going across multiple streaming services mm. or using more artistic warrant much more artistic esoteric ones excuse me yeah such as movie or the criterion channel but i believe i believe the option is still there anyways apologies for the long email eh, that, that's not yeah. even a long email for us. <laughs> don't worry just, about it sometimes think we all need a little nudge to go down that rabbit hole and i would love for you to go on that journey of discovery with the two of you all the very best best dan dan thank you so much that is a great observation and i assure you it is an oversight a lot of it has to do with we pick the streaming service and then just see what's available and then we work that way. Mm-hmm. But you're right. We can make a more concerted effort. And let's do it this week. Yeah. Uh, well, but there are the to uh, to excuse ourselves for a minute. Um, a lot of what we do is we do it streaming service by streaming service. Right. We're going to choose Netflix. And we like to choose the ones that we know a lot of people have access to, at least here in the United States. Yeah, or at the very um, least, most of the time. Yeah, we do because like do because we live in the United States. Yeah. These are the things we have access to. So we choose something like Netflix. The selection of international cinema on Netflix is paltry at best. Mm. Well, there's um, a lot of there's a fair number of like recent stuff, but the point of re- critically reclaimed is yeah. to catch up on important stuff from uh, the past that we've yeah, missed. There, there's so. also a lot. Uh, one of the rules of critical critically reclaimed is that we have to choose films we haven't seen before. At least one of and, us has. And yeah. yeah, when they have like one or two international films on a lot of these streaming services, mm. it's like we've seen them already. Yeah. So we we kind of dismiss them because it doesn't fit into our framework for that show. Yeah. Um, this has not been any sort of conscious effort no. to, to go toward English language cinema no. or or just stick with the United States or or mm. England occasionally. No, but I think uh, I think it's fair to point out, mm. and I and I'm just going to say it right now. Gauntlet has been thrown. All right, and and this uh, this week we're gonna we haven't decided what the poll is for this week. Mm. We'll just we'll let's let's do something along those lines. Yeah, well, okay? we, we haven't done movie yet. Maybe we should do movie. Well, movie. The problem with movie is that their selection is limited from month to month. Okay. So there, it's it would also depend on what movie has available. But we'll take okay. a look. Yeah. We'll take a look. We'll take a look. We'll, at we'll movie. definitely take a look. We'll take a look at movie. We'll take a look at Criterion. HBO Max actually has a pretty good selection of uh, uh, international cinema. Uh, we'll take a look, and right. uh, we will get back to you on that because that is an excellent point, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm very grateful for bringing it up. Right. Um, here's a letter from Eric. Hello, Eric. Um, hello, Bibbs and Whitney. I was just listening to your most recent episode of the Criti- Critically Acclaimed and thought you might want to know the reason why the best part of the Ice Age fr- Ice Age franchise, Scrat, wasn't in the newest film. Thank you. I'm very uh, curious about this. In case you were wondering, there's a new Ice Age movie on Disney+. Plus, and one of the recurring elements from all the other Ice Age movies, this uh, little rodent who's trying to rescue an acorn and it always goes horribly wrong isn't there and it's yes. one of the many things about that movie that yes. stinks some some no. of the scratch shorts are just as good as like roadrunner cartoons oh yeah they're, they're, they're really good excellent they're really um, excellent so yeah please let anyway, us know uh, to summarize there has been a legal battle for the rights of the character of scratch since 2002 before oh. the release of the original film oh. in 1999 <clears throat> ivy silberstein came up with the character of scratch with a q s q r a t 
uh, one day when she ran into a rodent at the park and described uh, that she described as a half squirrel, half rat. Uh, later that year, she pitched the idea for the character to Fox with no success. In 2001, she attempted to register the rights of Scratch with a Q, but also failed at this time. Then the first Ice Age film came out in 2002. Her legal battles began. A judge ruled in 2003 that both Fox and Silverstein were equal owners of the character, but Silverstein refused to settle. In 2012... Whoa. That's dedication. <laughs> nine years later... That's dedication. Uh, she finally acquired the trademark for Scrat, but it wasn't until the purchase of Fox by Disney that the legal battle came to an end. Before the production of the newest Ice Age film, the first helmed by Disney, the representatives from the company sat down with Silverstein to attempt to work out a deal. When Silverstein still refused to budge on the rights to her character, Disney respectfully agreed to pass ownership of Scrat back to Silverstein. Good for them. Though it is sad that Scrat is no longer part of the Ice Age movies, I'm glad to hear that this 20-year legal battle has finally come to an end. Mm -hmm. And the original creator owns the rights that's, to the that's, character she created. That's a happy so that's ending. Good for yeah. you. You stood your ground and you, uh, you, you stood in front of the dragon and you said, no dragon, yeah. you can't have my road. And the dragon's like, fine, and walked away. <laughs> Great story. Can't, and you know what? I, I hope she's making a lot of Scrat shorts. I hope so. Trying to sell a Scrat TV series somewhere. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. Do whatever you want to do. Hey, it's yours. Do whatever you want to do. Yeah, with it. Sit uh, on it if you want. Just do whatever you want to do with it. I know. Sorry, I know it's kind of a long letter, but it's no, not a long letter, but I just, uh, I just thought uh, you may want to be informed on the situation since you were so distraught that Scrat wasn't in the new film. I, I actually, I had heard something about some legal hullabaloo, but I didn't know what it was. And I'm really grateful to you for letting us know. And I'm, I'm glad it's got a happy ending. And while I, it, Ice Age is lesser for not having Scrat in it, uh, at this point, given what's going on with Ice Age, Scrat's probably better off. <laughs> yeah, I, I, didn't see, I didn't see Ice Age 6, but it's you not, said it wasn't very good. It's not good. It's not good. I've, I've seen one, two, and one of the others, and I, I don't remember which one it is. I think it's a one three and whatever who cares we're done that's uh but let's move on thank you so much for that right. that was really informative oh oh gosh scratch you okay? series no just thinking of like i might that i might get to see more scratch shorts. i want i want a scratch cereal and it all looks like uh like acorns like you can just eat acorns no <laughs> that's not a cereal just pour milk on it. I, pour pour no. milk on an acorn and eat it i'm not sure that's how that works anyway, moving on. Not. Uh, here's a letter from okay Okay. Okay. Um, Dear Bibbs and Whitney Seibold. Hmm. My, my full my full name. Uh, this is my third time writing to you, so I'll just say that I still stand behind all the positives I've said about you guys and your podcast, mm -hmm. except you get so much letters that I don't remember what I've said. Oh. So you're both really smart, funny, and interesting people. That, well, good that's looking, very kind of Good you. looking, too. I see you're good looking. Oh, um, my. Always a pleasure listening to your shows, especially like the ones where you guys talk about movies and the ones where you enter letters. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, all right. that's a lot of them, yeah. <laughs> uh, something I've been thinking about lately is how pretty much I, I pretty much hate the word overrated. Ah. Or I guess how e or how easily it's used. For instance, in this tiny little Finnish film, uh, uh, in this tiny little Finnish film fan discord I'm part of, someone said that the Hayao Miyazaki movie Princess Mononoke is overrated. Yeah. When asked what they think about it, that it, other people put more value in it than it deserves, the only answer I got was, the story isn't that interesting to me. When I tried to ask for more elaboration, they just got defensive and asked why I bothered them so much, not loving the movie, uh, mm. and bothered them for not loving the movie as much. Right. So I tried to explain that when somebody calls a piece of art overrated, I expect a bit more than just not my cup of hot chocolate, tea, coffee, both suck. Mm. <laughs> uh, because to me, overrated implies the more that the more common praise given to a film is undeserved. It has a bit of I'm right and all the others are wrong type of ring to it. Mm -hmm. Of course, this is all subjective and whatever I 
But uh, whatever, I'd still expect a stronger case when the word is used. Mm. Maybe this is just a me problem that stems from my non-existent self-esteem and nobody cares. But I also feel like the words uh, like this have specific meaning that should be respective. What do you guys think? Am I overthinking this? Hmm. Uh, and there's more to this letter, but let's address this first. Okay. Um, um, yeah, that's actually that's actually something mm. that critics talk about a lot mm. is uh, what terminology specifically means and how sometimes we use things a bit cavalierly. We're not really thinking about what the actual context yeah, is, the, what the actual connotation is when we call something overrated. Yeah, overrated or, or underrated for yeah. that matter. Um, overrated implies that uh, we're keying into a certain kind of popular opinion, isn't yeah. it? overrated compared to what yeah uh what what is it being overrated who is overrating who, who is rating it and who is overrating yeah it? um if there's a and so you you start to get this idea that somebody's uh perception of a popular consensus of a movie mm-hmm. uh doesn't necessarily match what the actual popular consensus is Hmm. So, uh, you know, whatever circles they're running in, they might hear about a certain film over and over exactly. again, one they didn't like a lot. And so they are moved to call that film overrated. Yeah, and that's, they and, didn't like it. Yeah. And that's why it can be an, an astoundingly useless term. It's because mm-hmm. it depends on who you know and who you listen yeah, to. So uh, you, you could you could have a whole group of friends who hate Citizen Kane. They just hate it for whatever reason. It just pisses them off. And so you would say, you know, Citizen Kane is a pretty underrated film. But if you just tweeted <laughs> that, if you just tweeted that into the ether, a lot of people would be very confused and would mm-hmm. request elaboration mm-hmm. because they assume that you're going off of yeah, the general right. consensus. You're, you're saying what everyone is saying, but that's yeah. just what you've heard. And this is yeah. especially sticky in the age of social media. Exactly. Uh, you know, Twitter and all of these other uh, social media platforms use artificial intelligence to gear things that you're talking about toward you. So everything you see on your timeline is especially geared toward you. Yeah. That's not the whole world. That's not a, a consensus no. opinion. It's just what's in your tiny circle. And the, yeah. the social media is constructing walls around that circle stronger and stronger. I've mentioned this before, but every once in a while I'll take a look at, with permission, I'll take a look at my spouse's uh, Twitter feed. Mm. And they they have different interests and they follow different things. And it's an entirely different universe of conversation. Yeah. It's, people are interested in, people so have the, entirely uh, different opinions or interested in entirely different things. It's fascinating. So what... What is underrated and overrated is all going to, depending on what you're hearing in your bubble. Yeah. And if you're only online and you're hearing things only on like Reddit or Mm. or or Twitter. um, Or whatever Rotten Tomatoes score is, that kind of thing. It's not necessarily accurate. So, yeah, what is underrated and what is overrated uh, is difficult to pin down. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they're useless terms. Mm. And what you're basically just saying is, I really like this thing. I think it deserves my recognition. Mm. Or I don't care for this thing. And I think uh, the recognition it gets is perhaps overlooking something. And yeah. I don't think it's unreasonable to ask for elaboration. However, not everyone's a professional film critic. No. Not everyone cares. And it's perfectly okay for someone to just give an opinion and not give a full review so long as they're not, you know, necessarily trying to work as a film critic. If you are, then yeah, you should be responsible for backing up your your, your thoughts. But um, so I'm not going to say you've gone too far or anything like that, but I also think, you know, people are entitled to their opinions. Um, but yeah, to request elaboration is not necessarily rude. Uh, and, uh, to, to, when you, when your experience doesn't match someone else's regarding a work of art, to be curious about their experience is one of the reasons why we have things like film criticism, why we have things like fandoms and cults is because, uh, we're trying to share our experience with the medium. 
Yeah. Uh, we want you to, I want you to be able, when I see a movie and I love it, and maybe you don't, I would like to be able to share with you what I saw so that maybe you can see it through my eyes and see a good movie instead. Mm. And when you see a movie that you absolutely despise and I like it, and you want to explain to me, like, no, here's why this movie is really hurt me or really is extremely uncomfortable or does something really, really poorly. And you can articulate that in a way that I can go, oh, I see your point. Mm. I don't necessarily agree. I may agree now, but like, I see your point mm. now. That's the beauty of what we call the discourse. It's supposed to be about sharing perspectives yeah. and being able to see things through other people's eyes. That's what's mm -hmm. exciting about it. So when you say something is underrated or overrated, you're adding a level of subjectivity that people were naturally curious yeah. about. Well, and if um, someone were to come at me and, and say, um, oh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, a movie yeah. I love uncategorically. Sure. Uh, they say, that movie's overrated. Okay. I understand what they mean. Mm -hmm. I, I don't agree with them. Yeah. But I understand what they mean because that is a film that is universally praised by a lot of people that yeah. I'm familiar with. Yeah, that one's pretty... The, and, the, the public record on yeah. that one's pretty clear that most people seem mm -hmm. to think that's a good movie. Uh, I, I would come out and say something like, Space Jam is overrated. Because <laughs> there's one person on the planet who likes it, and that's too much love. <laughs> because that movie's fucking despicable. <laughs> I actually know a lot of people who genuinely love Space Jam, and yeah, yeah I... That, I would say it is quite overrated. <laughs> so, but you know, yeah. there are going to be people who take exception to that because I it's know true. there are a lot of people who really love that. Movie. And I know a lot of people who like that movie just finally grew up with it, or they mm. just find it harmless or, or enjoyable. And they keep hearing that people like us talk about how <laughs> crappy it is. And to that particular person, it would be underrated, wouldn't it? That's right. And that's perfect. That's that's mm. also another take. So, anyway, so it's, it's, yeah, subjectivity is all it, over. It's this. yes, it's all going to be about perspective when yeah. it comes to overrated and underrated. When somebody uses that word, it just means their opinion uh, runs counter to what they've heard. Yeah. And you don't know what they've heard. That's the problem with it. And so it's difficult to sort of get, get a line so, on it. So I'm, I'm of the opinion at the moment, my opinions have changed on this over time, that overrated and underrated aren't particularly useful as... It's, it's criticism. Of, as critical as, markers, as, as yeah. meaningful criticism, as, as a critical marker, they're not particularly useful because they're not particularly clear without a whole lot of mm. elaboration. And if you're elaborating that much, you don't even need to call it overrated or underrated. Yeah, I, you're just I, making your point at that point. I also think that there's another issue here because the words overrated, underrated are used in uh, like clickbait type headlines a lot. A lot, yeah. And they're used to just sort of, uh, you know, troll or just whine about yeah. things that are popular, which, you know, that's legit, whatever. You can write about whatever. But, I, don't, um, I don't so much mind underrated because then you're trying to like attract attention to something that in your estimation isn't appreciated enough. Yeah. That, that one I think is, if we only had that, that would be fine. But it, when you put them together, they're yeah. they're not very useful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, right, uh, there, there's more to this letter. Um, uh, in other more fun film-related news, uh -huh. uh, there seems to be a coming chance for me to lead a movie club of sorts. Ooh. I've been struggling with depression and anxiety yeah. for a long time, so I started to go to this culture workshop for 18 to 35-year-olds with mental health problems. They're young people with issues... Uh, Young, where young people with issues get a chance to try all kinds of cultural things. Hmm. For example, there are groups for painting and drawing, making socks, D&D, &D, board games, and writing. That sounds great. And uh, now I've entered the peer tutor. I'm not sure if that's the right term. I had to use Google Translate part of my training. Okay. Meaning that in that's a month right. or so, I should be able to lead a group of my own. My idea that seems to have already been greenlit is for, uh, to show a different movie of my choosing every week for the group. The films would be classics, uh, lesser-known gems, or something I just feel like showing to folks. Okay. Sessions then essentially 
uh, introduce the film to the group before watching it together. Mm-hmm. This could mean, for example, explaining why a certain movie is considered a classic before watching it. Yeah. After the film is over, then we would lead a conversation about the movie we just watched. The goal mm-hmm. would be to have a nice, relaxing way to just shoot the shit while investigating why we like or dislike what we like or dislike in a safe, respectful environment. Right. Next week, I'll have the chance to test this idea in the training session. Uh, that is a max 30-minute session, so my current plan is to show Disney's Steamboat Willie ah. to the group, uh, for it feels like a very accessible, fun cartoon that started something huge by introducing Mickey Mouse to the world, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a movie fan with social anxiety, this is something I myself would love to attend. I'm a bit nervous, mostly, uh, but mostly I'm starting to get really excited about the opportunity. So excited that I wanted to share this news with fellow film lovers, whom I very deeply respect. Anyway, hope my ramblings were somewhat understandable. I'm a bit secure about my writing, too. Uh, send you lots of love and respect. Okay. Okay, thank you so much for writing in. And that sounds great. And I've talked about this a lot before. I deal with depression. I deal with overwhelming anxiety kind of constantly. And that's and that's medicated. So if I wasn't on my meds, I'd be a wreck. Um, and yet... I do this. <laughs> I I put myself into a public forum and I share the things that I care about, movies, TV, other forms of art, uh, with one of my dearest friends in the world. And the reason why I'm comfortable doing that is because this is something that means a lot to me and that I care about it and that I really want to share with other people the art that means something to me, or at the very least what I think about art that regardless of whether or not it's good um so i totally get that you want to share your experience of cinema with other people you want to be able to see what you see enjoy some really amazing movies have a long exciting conversation about them the way you would like to have that's why we started a podcast that's why we've we've hosted midnight movies for the same reason we want to share the things that we love that sounds great i wish you all the best in the world I'm sure you're going to pick some great movies. I hope you do. And I hope they have a really good time. I'm sure they will. Yeah. And, and I think there's something even, uh, even more complex going on with, it's not just about sharing your passion. Okay. Anybody can be passionate about anything. Okay. Fair enough. It's easy to share. It's also easy to accept or reject depending on whether or not you share that passion. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important to acknowledge how hard we get off on analyzing stuff. <laughs> It's kind of a crass way of putting it, but uh, yeah, fair uh, enough. <laughs> um, I, I stand by my, my, my crass metaphor. You're, you're, um, you're not wrong. The, the idea of sitting and thinking and discussing and analyzing is fun. Yeah. It's fun just to do that, whether or not you're passionate about something. You can rip apart something you hate. Uh, yeah. You can rip apart something to, you love, even. Why you, not? you can, you can, you can try to play devil find advocate. the meaning in something you feel completely neutral about. Just yeah. kind of going into that analytical headspace can be really thrilling. This is something that I I I, I think people sometimes don't know what to do with me hmm. on social media because for a lot of people, social media is just I really like thing or I really don't like thing, and I'm yeah. like I want to talk about thing at length, <laughs> and they're just like, but you you. Yeah. But we disagree. Yeah, it's great. And I just want to talk about it because I think you're neat and I want to share our feelings and our perspectives on stuff. And I think sometimes people just kind of want to just enjoy a thing. And I'm like, I enjoy the talking of, about things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, the thing that I love the, almost more than the thing itself is the, the, the dis- sharing. Afterwards. The discussion itself. Yeah. And, and you know, if it wasn't film, it'd be something else. We'd, no, be, sure. we'd be talking about Snacks. Analyzing, yeah, food. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I would love to do a snack show. <laughs> I think the avocado is an affront to God. I've you know, wanted, whatever it is. I've wanted to host a cooking show Our, for so long. I, th- there's... Are you a good cook? 
No, I want to. I want to eat the your, food. I've never had your food. I want to but... eat the food. I don't want to. Oh, like... uh, I'm okay if I put yeah, if I put my back into it. You know, if I really yeah. like take the time, get good ingredients. Mm-hmm. I'm a pretty good cook. Michelle, my my spouse, they're a great cook. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I want to eat the food. That's what I want. I want to be the host. <laughs> I don't want to be the contestant. I want to be the well, host. I, I just I want to be the funny person who like hosts, and they have like the one proper chef next to me who explains everything going on, and right. then I say and something like funny, the, and, and the, then I get to eat the cake. Like the, that's what the, I want. You're the jokey judge on the cooking program. That's what I want. Yeah. Show. If okay. anyone, if anyone listening is a producer and wants to give me that gig, I will <laughs> happily do that gig till the day I die. Which, if right. you give me a lot of rich foods, will probably be sooner than later. <laughs> but regardless, I know, I know a lot of the judges on those shows. Like have they have this like very special diet regimen because they're they're eating for a living sure and they have to eat a lot so they have to you know make sure that fits into their diet routine yeah, I mean like look everyone everyone handles their like, uh, their health and their their weight uh, and their diet in different ways yeah there's a uh, his name is uh, Adam Richmond uh, mm-hmm. hosted a show on the Travel Network called Man versus Food I remember that yeah and yeah he traveled around the country yeah. finding like little greasy spoons and well, diners that had eating challenges well, yeah, on but their that's, menus that, like, that's can, that's an ex- that's an yeah, extreme can, example can you here. eat sixteen pounds of steak or can you eat what? can you drink thirty milkshakes I'm, I'm talking about a show where it's just like here's a nice cut of halibut you have to add one interesting ingredient you have 30 minutes go and then afterwards we all have a little bit of halibut and it tastes really really good and like wait a minute why did you put why did you put like grenadine on this why was where were you thinking this is the worst thing i've ever had but it's fun like that's what i want those that's the greatest that's the greatest cake in the world grenadine on halibut that sounds revolting i was just thinking of an example but like seriously uh, the cooking show host sounds like the greatest gig in the world to me i'll i'll be the cook because i like cooking preparing and serving more than i like eating so um, I, i would happily serve food to you Oh, thank you. Yeah. The, Please uh, do. Yeah, go, going to a store and getting food and getting it all together and preparing it—that's all the fun stuff. When it comes to sitting down and eating, it's like I don't need to eat I, it after. I, that. I love cooking, but you know we're we're you know we're we're at we're at the income bracket that we're at. We don't have these like gigantic Nancy Myers kitchens with all <laughs> oh, the nicest things in the world. We don't have like endless counter space. Uh-huh. To, with which to make things we don't have an endless budget to get the highest quality materials if i had all that stuff i would never stop cooking because mm-hmm. cooking is wonderful but as it stands you know we've all been broke so um yeah anyway we we, we got off on a long yeah. digression sharing what you love is wonderful finding a great outlet for it finding a group and uh, it sounds like you're in a really positive place that actually like cares about the impact that sharing that art is going to have on people that's wonderful mm-hmm. so Good luck. Uh, please keep us informed. I hope it. I hope it goes great. I'm sure it will. Mm. Um, and um, more power to you. That sounds really yeah, absolutely. wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let, let write in again and let us know how yeah. it went because I'd love to to hear like what sort of things you talked about about Steamboat yeah. Willie. I'm, I'm very very yeah. Steamboat Willie. Maybe the next uh, maybe when you actually start the actual like proper feature club. Yeah. Or... Really really curious how that's going to go. It sounds wonderful. Mm. All right. Uh, got time for one more? Sure. Here's a letter from Tom with Tom! three exclamation points. Uh, I love Tom. Uh, hello to my two favorite critics. Mm. Oh. Um, I'll keep this email short and sweet. Something that really annoys me in movies Mm. is when we see a photograph of two or more actors together, usually a framed picture, like a wedding picture or a holiday photo, and we can clearly tell that the two actors' faces have been photoshopped into the photo and that they aren't really in the photo together. You have the same actors on set together for weeks at a time. Why not just take a picture on set? (laughs) (laughs) I've never understood why this happens. Why uh, do you have any insight as to why this is such a common occurrence? I'm guessing it's to save time and money, but also always makes me laugh when I see a bad Photoshop job. Also, 
what are some minor things that happen in a film that can take you out or uh, take you out of the story or distract you? All the best, your biggest Welsh fan, oh, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Uh, I say that because the exclamation points. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Um, yeah, you're right. That's totally an annoying thing. Um, oftentimes in a movie where you need to establish, uh, you know, the backstory of two oh. people who apparently lived a long life together, you do that by showing various props, various mementos of where they've been and a photograph of where they've been. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Usually, I'll find Photoshop is something they resort to uh, if the production schedule is really tight and you don't have time mm-hmm. to do a Photoshop session like that. Or uh, it's, oh. it's possible like uh, one character hadn't been cast yet when they're already shooting some scenes. Also possible. Yeah. It's also possible that uh, we might not know we needed that insert shot of the photograph until after the production was over yeah. and it was a reshoot. That happens too. It might happen that the photo is, takes place in a specific place or context. Uh-huh. Where you're going to have to fake it anyway, so you might as well just Photoshop mm-hmm. the whole thing. Uh, it also is possible they might just have shitty Photoshop. It can happen too. <laughs> um, but um, it 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 is frustrating, and I've seen it some some places where it's done better than others. Um, oh, another issue is that a lot of time may have passed, so they may need to have de-aged the characters oh, anyway. Uh, so that's also an issue. But um, one I was thinking of when you were when you're talking about this, and I remember thinking about this a lot. When I was watching that Blake Lively spy movie, The Rhythm Section, <laughs> uh, which right. is not a good film. Yeah. I did not care for it at all. But uh, there's there's a thing in that movie where Blake Lively's family is killed in a terrorist attack. And she decides to dedicate her life to getting revenge on the people who did it. Um, a big part of that movie, like the opening part of that movie is like the last time she saw her family alive. It's a flashback. Hmm. We return to it a lot. They're all in like a living room together. Uh it's also clearly the only time they got those cast members together because even though that's like a memory from like when she was in her 20s, it's literally the only memory she has of her family. <sighs> and that's something that bugs me a lot when like, you know, like someone's got to like look, oh, I'm thinking back over all the time I spent with my loved ones or my yeah. life is flashing before my yeah, eyes. And it's literally only it's literally only scenes we saw before in the movie. And I'm like, no. Like, if my life flashes before my eyes, there's going to be a lot of random stuff, images, moments that meant a lot to me, but no one ever would have bothered to dramatize or that aren't connected to whatever the plot of my life is. So that's something that always rings a little false to me. Hmm. Uh, So it doesn't happen a lot, Hmm. but whenever it does, and it does happen, it pisses me off. It always just feels really fake. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of little, little tiny details that always distract me. Um, for some reason, they still can't time the lighting right when somebody turns the light out in a room. Oh, yeah. Uh, to light a scene like that, they have light, like, in-room lighting. But, of course, there's lights on the set. And then when yeah. they flick the light off, they have to shut those lights off. Yeah. But they still need to light the scene. So they have to sh- turn other lights on. And usually it's like a moonbeam through the, the window or something. Yeah. So you're basically, you're, you're, turning have, off, uh, mul- you're turning off and on multiple lights simultaneously. And generally speaking... It's hard I'm, to time because those are yeah. big lights, and, and, and they're not all connected yeah. to the same switch. It'd be nice if yeah, they so were, but three, that's probably two, one click. You got to yeah. yeah, get like a bunch of lighting technicians yeah. on it at the same time. They yeah. do a, a very wonderful job, those lighting technicians. I'm not yeah. mocking their job at all. Yeah, but, but sometimes I have, it's more convincing. Than I, I have yet to see one that's been 100 convincing, where somebody turns a light out and the light comes mm-hmm. through the window like in an organic way. It always yeah. looks really, uh, really false. I, I'm always driven nuts by uh, the room lit by one candle that is clearly being lit by like three, four lights yeah <laughs> like dude i know i know lighting is hard but like that's a fucking get more candles at least fake it better like what are you, what, oh, the, what are you doing here the one that bugs me i i feel like a lot of filmmakers are getting a lot better about shooting in darkness and yeah. like you know inhabiting really like dark black spaces 
Um, the movie Hereditary is a great example oh, of this, yeah. where great, you can great use of you can barely see things like in the shroud of the mm-hmm. dark, and once you kind of make them out, it runs really terrifying. Yeah. For the longest time, and this was all throughout the 90s, uh, films that were shot at night, they just put a blue filter over it. Oh, yeah. It's such a tacky look. I was kind of okay with it when Lord of the Rings did it, because it kind of felt like, you know, it's this ancient land, and, like, there's no there's no pollution out there, so the moon's just really fucking bright. Yeah, it's a bri- <laughs> bright, and, and yeah, it's everything's like a spotlight right. on everything, so I'm it's, kind it's, of okay it's with it in a fantasy planet, realm. Maybe it's got, like, a blue moon. Anyway, I'll let that but, yeah. slide, but, like, yeah, a lot of... The, so, well, but that's also just phases, you know, phases of what is acceptable in terms of how to oh, portray just, yeah, night well, or day or or even just color timing shifts over time. Yeah, yeah. I can be pretty forgiving about that. I see your point, though. Was, uh, yeah, uh, th- that was a, a pet peeve I have with uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah. There's a few night scenes and they just did that 90s thing where they shot everything through blue filters. Like, yeah. can't you find a more interesting way to shoot that? And just sort of film it blue. It doesn't. It doesn't look good to me. But uh, yeah, yeah. it's it's one of those. I remember I was in film school and I uh, was learning about. Uh, they were literally teaching us about cliches. Hmm. And uh, they were talking. It was a screenwriting class, and they were talking about the cliche of. Uh, Oh, someone's about to leave. We're going to leave town forever. And I'm waiting for the bus. Mm. And then someone's like waiting across the street, watching them go. And then the bus comes and it covers the person. Yeah. And then the bus leaves and you see the person is still standing there. Okay. They had the opportunity to leave. They decided to stay. What a dramatic moment. They're going to stay. They're going to be in love. Everything's going to be great. And it's a cliche. We all have seen that shot. That shot is, is tacky. But my screenwriting professor had this point. Come up with a better way of doing that. <laughs> if you can come up with a better way of doing that, you can complain about the cliche. Sometimes a cliche, sometimes a trick, something something that we consider hackneyed in terms of visual storytelling, is just the most efficient way of doing that thing. And I can be forgiving if it's doing its job. Yeah. That's the thing. But if I can think of a better way to do what you did, then I'm going to be annoyed. I'll be like, okay, you were just being a little lazy there. Um, I, would, I would love to see... Um, a horror movie yeah. where somebody pushes the killer aside and the mirrored medicine cabinet is behind it. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a big musical sting. Oh no, the mirrored medicine cabinet. It's like the sequel to Oculus. The mirror is the killer. There you go. <laughs> it's, it's about a killer medicine chest oh that god. appears in your bathroom, but only when there's a killer around. Oh my god. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah. Anyway, we, all, we all have little things. That this, take yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure I could think of a dozen. Oh, yeah. really kind of, kind of grilled me on it. All right, but uh, thank you for writing in. We all have those. Uh, feel free to share yours, actually. I'd love to hear some. If there, is, there, is there something that you see often in movies, some like little thing that rings false that always takes you out of the movie or always annoys you or you always think to yourself, no one has ever actually done mm. that? Um, here's another one. When uh, someone says... And this is this is not as much of a problem now because nowadays people like talk more and like text more and have social media and more ways to contact each other. But before everyone had a smartphone, there were constantly scenes in movies where someone would say, "Okay, cool. So you want to go out on Friday?" I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I'll see you on Friday." Okay, cool. When? Where? <laughs> what are you gonna do? You gotta, you gotta. Can I'll we see get, you Friday. I'll see you Friday. Fucking when? There's 24 fucking hours in that day. When, do you work that day? Do I should I meet you after work? Who's driving? Am I driving? Are we taking public transportation? Make a fucking plan. At the very least, set a window or say I'll call you. At the very fucking least, 
Like, why are you dressed that way? Oh, I thought we were going to do the broadsword competition. It's like, we didn't plan that. I was oh, implied. This is, this is one that my uh, that my wife pointed out to me, and now yeah. I can't not notice it. But yeah. uh, in movies, people go into bars. Uh, oh, yeah. Typically bars they've been in before. They sit down and they say, what do you have, boys? And they say, I'll have a beer. A yeah. beer. Yeah. Oh, good. So, oh, good. Okay. We have that today. I'm, I'm glad we have a beer. Here, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, do you know how many fucking types of beer there are? <laughs> yeah, there was, uh, there was Kevin Smith talked about that in the commentary track for Clerks, mm-hmm. where like you're allowed to like in a convenience store have real products in the background as long as you're not highlighting them because they'd normally be there. Yeah, uh, but frequently throughout the the film, people come in and they ask for specific products, and mm-hmm. the product you would ask for most behind the counter would be cigarettes because they're not available everywhere else. But they didn't want to like give. Marketing Mar- to Marlboro or, or whatever like that, or they didn't want to, or they didn't want to ask Marlboro permission, even even if they were okay with it. So they said, "Of back cigarettes." And Kevin Smith's justification was, "It's a small town. He knows everyone's brand." There, that's, which it's, it's a little I, thin, but that. it's a little thin, that. but whatever. Yeah. You know, we're all just gonna we're all just gonna let the, it slide. This, this guy likes yeah. cool. The other so, the other thing is something Quentin Tarantino has done, which is he comes up with fake brands like Red Apple cigarettes. Right. Like I'll, I'll have a pack of Red Apples. It sounds like a real thing. Hmm. I when I when I was a teenager when I first saw Pulp Fiction, I thought that was a real brand of cigarettes. Uh, at uh, the New Beverly Cinema, where I, I run the projector. Um, before uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a uh, little ancillary footage sometimes gets shown. Uh-huh. And there are fake products in the movie that uh, Quentin Tarantino directed commercials for. Yeah, yeah. So You see one of the closing credits where like, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, is doing but, a Red Apple commercial. But there, yeah. there's like a 30-second Red Apple TV spot that's not in the yeah. movie. And uh, at the at the end of it, they say... Uh, the, 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 um, the tagline was, um, take a bite and feel all right. Take a bite of a Red Apple. And... Yeah. Uh, at the end of it, it says, here's Burt Reynolds' actor. Hey, Burt Reynolds, what are you going to do? Oh, take a bite and feel all right. And he smokes it. And it's James Marston. <laughs> <laughs> Doing his best, uh, like, Burt Reynolds impersonation. That's, wow, I never heard of that. That's hilarious. It's pretty great, yeah. That's amazing. Okay, cool. Anyway, that is it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody who wrote in. Thank you, everybody who took us to task. Thank you, everybody who said nice things. Thank you once again to Toby in the, in the South Pole. Yeah, get over that. Yeah. Um, and seriously, thank you everybody for sharing your experiences and your thoughts on uh, film and podcasting and everything else. They're just wonderful people and you mean the world to us. If you would like to join in on a future episode of We've Got Mail, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or if you would care to send us uh, a piece of snail mail made of mm-hmm. actual snails. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? <laughs> send it to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And there are other ways to get in touch with us as well. Of course, you can always follow us on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And if you would like access to a lot of exclusive shows, we have our Patreon, patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. We have our Star Trek show. We have our show dedicated to every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. we got commentary tracks. We do hangouts once a month. Uh, we got a show about Batman. We got tons of stuff over there. Gigantic back catalogs, mm-hmm. all available, all for you. So, um, just uh, seriously, thanks again. Yeah. Um, plug c- your way. C- can I can I plug a few things? I know you got uh, some things yeah, to plug. I, I, uh, I I'm writing for Slash Film now. Yeah. Uh, I have I have stuff there. So if you go to Slash Film, look up my stuff. I'm writing yeah. articles Wh- there. Whitney is Whitney is is uh, uh, on the not quite there, but like you got a couple weeks from now, you'll be like fully employed. That's, yeah, like writing for them I a will, lot. Will, uh, will be working there full time. So yeah, yeah. My, my output over at Slash Film is uh, probably going to increase by quite a bit. I'm so proud um, of you. 
Also, tune into my other podcast that I do with B. Peterson, all about Ovid. O L L. O L All about Ovid, all with all O's. Ovid is the uh, streaming service, and uh, B and I talk about what we watch on it. And uh, on our last two episodes, in fact, because it was such a long conversation, uh, we got to talk to the filmmaker Lynn Sachs, who has a lot of work on uh, Ovid and a lot of work on the Criterion Collection, beside Criterion Channel, besides. And uh, wow, she's fascinating. She's an experimental documentary filmmaker and. We watched a lot of her movies. Uh, B put me to shame because she saw <laughs> way more movies than I did. Uh, but yeah. yeah, we got to talk to Lindsay. You have a kid. You have an excuse. You have only so much time in the day. I, I, I understand that, but I still felt ashamed. Like I didn't do the full assignment. Uh, oh, wow. But no, Lynn Sachs is, is a, a wonderful human being. And yeah, listen to the last two episodes of All About Ovid. You can hear B Peterson and I talk to Lynn Sachs. And please do. It's really, really great. Um, and of course, check in over uh, at Salt Cat Soap. Mm-hmm. On Twitter, Instagram, at Salt Cat Soap. We have an Etsy store, Michelle Lapis uh, and I. Uh, we, uh, we we make and sell designer soaps, and we have some wonderful gift sets available for Valentine's Day. Not too late to get uh, your loved ones something that smells really, really nice and will keep them clean, something practical as well. Uh, we've got a chocolate heart gift set. We've got a floral heart gift set. And, of course, uh, a wide variety of other uh, handcrafted products besides. Thank you, everybody, who's also tried those. Uh, and left us some really wonderful reviews. The reviews have been staggeringly good. So that means the world to us. We're glad you're enjoying the soaps. And we encourage everybody to check them out. Because we're very proud of them. They're, very, they're quite nice, actually. Uh, Michelle does most of the work. Um, they're very, they're, they're so brilliant. Every single soap they make is a work of art. It's incredible. Um, anyway, that's that. And uh, thank you, everybody, once again. We will see you next week on this show and other shows besides. Because we make a lot of them. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and... Whitney. Whitney. Okay. Thanks. Thanks.